0: Help us keep the music going. Welcome to The Music Room, the podcast dedicated to keeping music alive in primary and elementary schools throughout the world. I'm Mark Lee, and I'm passionate about ensuring that schools provide an environment where children are given an opportunity to foster a love for music and have a chance to express it. Together with my guests, we're here to help teachers and parents by sharing information, Tips and techniques from music education experts and practising music teachers. So let's get into it. The Music Room Podcast is proudly sponsored by Bushfire Press. It's always a nice feeling when someone you know receives an honour or an award recognising their contribution to their field. And my special guest to kick off Series 2 of our podcast is such a person – He's a man whom countless children, adults and teachers, of course, think of as a friend, someone they know, someone they've grown up with. In the 2020 Australia Day Honours, Peter Coombe was awarded the Order of Australia Medal. This not only rewards Peter, but also elevates the status of songs for children and reinforces the importance of music in their lives. Peter is 71, but still leading a hectic professional life. In December last year, he graciously made time to share his thoughts and his passion for children's music, songwriting and education. The telephone connection may be a little muddy, but the thoughts are strong and clear as a bell. Now, Peter, a lot of uh, most teachers, most teachers would know uh, of you, but they would not necessarily know that you were uh, a teacher. You were a primary school teacher and and a music teacher.
1: No, probably not. They probably wouldn't know that.
0: Um, have, you the, uh,
1: I mean, have
0: you been keeping this a secret? Have
1: you been keeping this a secret? Oh, no, no, not at all. No, no, it, it's, it's on my, on any, any biography, extensive biography you read about me, it'll talk about my teaching background. In fact, I talk about it quite a lot because it, it was probably the ideal background to have before becoming what I am now, mm-hmm. you know, professional children, singer-songwriter. In um, fact, I, I, I did my last... My last teaching stint back at the end of back in 1982, and uh, left my teaching job and started up my current career at the beginning of 1983. Mm -hmm. And it was certainly in retrospect, uh, I guess, the best career to have come from, because I was obviously working with children as a teacher, and I was working in music, and uh, I liked it. I I didn't, I didn't never, I never left teaching. I didn't like it. Although it's very exhausting being a music teacher, hmm. um, but I left left because I want, I wanted to do this more, and I wanted to be obviously write, I wanted to compose um, prolifically, which I've done the last uh, <laughs> thirty eight years.
0: <laughs> it's not a bad record, yes. Yeah. Uh, and you taught here and also in the UK. Uh, no, I never taught in the UK
1: actually. Um, I when I when I went to I taught in Sydney. I taught in Sydney for about a year and a half. But um, when I went to the UK, I was lucky enough to, within this, within about four or five weeks, to land a, a lovely job at the BBC. I, um, I had, had a friend who had some contact with BBC and I rang them and they just happened to have these auditions going for a, a new presenting job for a new children's television series called Music Time. And uh, I auditioned for it and luckily enough, I got the job. So... I spent my almost three years in England uh, doing that, plus obviously a lot, lots of performing as well. But that was my main job in England was, was presenting music time on BBC TV, and it was uh, the most wonderful experience. It was, it was quite memorable.
0: Mm. And, and we we had that series out here too. It was you did? In fact, the ABC bought the series, and then they actually
1: played it played it again in the in the early to mid nineties. So. It, it looks incredibly old-fashioned when you see it now, but, uh, but it was it was a a very valuable series because it actually it actually taught children about the basics of music, mm. and it's very hard these days to find a program that does that. You know, it talked about pitch and rhythm and 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 timbre and uh, all, all the all the basic thing you know, key changes, uh, key signatures, time signatures, all that kind of thing, uh, and a little bits about how to, how to read music, and it also introduced children to all the instruments of the orchestra. And of course, it taught them about singing. Um, so it was a really, I think, really quite important program. And I, I don't, I don't think there is the equivalent of that these days. As far as I know, and I think there could be. i well, I'd love, I'd love to make a a modern version of Music Time, you know, suited to yes. the uh, to 2000, you know, 2020 rather than rather than the late 70s, early
0: 80s. Well, I think it would, it would certainly have a place because there are a lot of schools without music teachers or, or with people who are, are uh, not musicians but have been given music as uh, the subject yeah. to teach, and they, they really struggle. So it That's would right. be so good to have a program like that again.
1: Yes, yes. But unfortunately, ABC doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. No, so no. it's it, it, To me, it was a quite a regression, really. Yes. Um, but sometimes in, in society, things go forward, and other things go back. And to me, this is one example of something going backwards. Um, so it was a, I feel at music time... Um, it's filled a very important gap in children's education, and uh, it doesn't. It's not there anymore. I mean, not not to say there isn't other stuff around, but not on not on television, mm. not on free-to-air TV.
0: Yes. Now, I'm going to ask you a, a question about your songs. Uh, obviously, the first question that anyone probably asks you was, why are they so successful and have such a long life? Uh, when I first started teaching. <laughs> I was doing your songs with the kids and now my grandkids, when they visit, yeah. <laughs> have seen them to me. So yeah. such a long life. There's lots of children's songs. What is it that that you do that really works?
1: Um, it, it's probably a bit of a, a, quite a complex question in a way, and a, or a complex answer to that question. Um, there are many, many things that go into writing a good song for children um, and I, I I mean, first of all, respect for children is important. Respecting children's intelligence, uh, and I mean both musical and intellectual intelligence. Um, I think you need to have a very highly developed sense of humour. Uh, mm-hmm. You need to, you need to have the ability to write a decent melody. I think I think the writing of melody is, is very very undervalued in in, in in modern musical society. It's very hard to write really good melodies, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think that many people are that good at it for um, so that um, I, I, I think um, I love to give children enormous variety when I make an album when, when I'm making an album I'm thinking of silly songs quirky songs serious songs uh, hopefully beautiful songs uh, songs that stretch children's um you know musicals of horizons their lyrical horizons there's the subject matter um, I try and make the subject matter very diverse a write of seven songs Um But also just sheer hard work. I mean, writing is always hard work. Now, not to say that you don't get the occasional song that sort of drops out of nowhere. And I've I've had a couple of those. I mean, Newspaper Mama, one of my most famous songs, just came out, just came out of nowhere. So when someone asked me how to write Newspaper Mama, I can't, I honestly can't remember. Mm. (laughs) But when someone asked me how to write Spaghetti Bolognese, I have a very clear memory of that because I knew exactly what gave me the idea. And I knew, I knew where I was. In fact, it was my um, it was my last teaching stint in Adelaide. Uh, I was watching a couple of kids play marbles on the ground, and, and that just set off this idea of unlike a your yo craze, unlike a marble phase. That's what set off the idea of that song. Um, where the spaghetti bit comes in, I don't quite know how that came into it. But that, that's <laughs> one of the so, so that particular song. I know exactly how I got started on, but newspaper mama, I just don't know. Mm. And that's the nature of songwriting, but, but yeah, to finish answering your question, um, I think I like to think that any decent children's song you write will have a sort of a timeless character that will have the potential to maybe pass, be passed on down to an, another generation. I think that I think that songs that don't quite cut the mustard um, probably tend to get slowly forgotten mm. by groups of people, by by the, you know by the general population. Whereas I think the songs that do have a real sort of intrinsic value, do have a tendency, like a good recipe, to be passed on to another generation. So I'm I'm sort of I, I've become very aware of this because I've, I've over the past 12 or 13 years I've done a, a many, many many what I call 18 plus concerts or what I often call big kid night out. Hmm. Well, I go to a place um, in Adelaide. It might be the Governor High Marsh in Melbourne. It might be the SB or the Corner in Sydney. It might be the Metro. These uh, Manning Bar. These places where young people gather for um, music evenings. And I found myself. I've done this about 115 of these concerts all over the wow. singing, <laughs> singing newspaper, mammas spaghetti bolognese, juicy juicy green grass, worship those nice juice top of the apple to 25 year olds at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. <laughs> <the same> <laughs>
0: Oh, that and, uh, is that is a that's got
1: to be a first hasn't it? novelty that I, I did, I, and they really caught on. And what it said to me, i This is a very long answer to the original question. That that I I knew then the songs had real longevity; mm. they were lasting, and people these people came on not not just for nostalgia, but when they sang the songs, they sang it with incredible joy. And I and I was really very very touched by that. Mm. That they would the songs meant a lot to them. So. I like to think, I like to think that that was maybe an example of, um, of, 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 you know, the song actually having having some depth to them, because they just simply wanted to sing them, you know, at uh, ten o'clock on a Saturday night.
0: <laughs> mm, I think that's uh, that is just astonishing, and it must be the first time anyone's done that. Sure, yeah,
1: it is. Yes, uh, I think the Wiggles had a go, one one performance somewhere about five years ago. I didn't know how it went, but but uh, I. You know, but I know, I know I sort of started that, that idea. Yeah. Again, it's one of those ideas, that it just got going by accident. I mean, I didn't intend to do that, but um, I had this gig in Adelaide um, back, and this is going probably back 14 years ago now, where the audience kind of went crazy uh, when I did these songs. But this, this was an adult audience, and I got off stage thinking, oh, maybe they're a bit drunk and just you know letting their hair down, sort of thing. But I found out that they know they really want to hear the songs again. So that that led to a national tour, hmm. and then in the in that ten year, 10 12, 12 year period, um, I did set concerts all over Australia, all the capital cities, and uh, it, it was a wonderful time. But I, I don't do them so much now because that particular audience is now in their mid to late thirties, and they've got their own children. And of course, now they would choose now to come to one of my fringe shows. Yes. So when I do, when I do a fringe show in Adelaide, which is a huge festival here. Um, you get all the sort of grandparents, uh, mid-year olds, and and six-year-olds. So it's quite a quite a lovely mix.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you and you're at the fringe next year. I am. Yes, I'm at the, doing nine nine uh, Matt May's the fringe next year. Um, I'm also. I'm also doing this other, other strange show called My Dad Brainwashed Me with Sixties Music. A different, <laughs> different thing altogether. It's about my my, my two youngest children grow, growing up listening to the same music as me, like Simon the and Uncle, Peter Paul mm-hmm. and Mary, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, um, you know, The Eagles, all that kind of stuff. And um, we're doing a show based on that. But, but yes, but uh, to answer your question, I am doing. I'm doing nine matinees in Adelaide called. Uh, called Peter Gingham and brush, brush Your Hair with a Toothbrush, mm. which is a line from my best-known song, um, Mr. Crickety-Cane mm. or Wash Your Face Narratives.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I've got a technical question for you uh, about your songwriting. Your uh, your experience with kids, especially with teaching music, obviously that's that's um, giving you a, a, a depth to what you do, when you, to how you approach songs. Yeah. Do, do you... Um, Do you ever approach a song for a particular purpose such as key change or or, um, uh, time signatures or or, uh, particular rhythms and things? Uh, I guess elemental teaching points.
1: Yes, I do. It's one of the many techniques you use in songwriting where you're always looking for varieties of songs. So, uh, I might think now this album's got a lot of songs in 2 4 time or 4 4 time. It needs something in 6 8 or mm-hmm. 3 4. Um, there's one song I wrote in the Spaghetti One album which is actually in 7 4 time. It goes, and that's, I thought that was an interesting thing to do. Mm-hmm. It actually, because children have very few chances to hear a song in 7 4 time. And it just makes you think about time signatures. Mm. And, and I love in albums, I, I love doing, but when I make an album, I. I'm very careful about how, how how I space the songs from the track one to sort of 15 or whatever. But I, for example, I would try and avoid putting two songs in the same same say the same time signature. If I had two waltz type songs on the album, I wouldn't put them one after the other. If I had two three songs say in the key of G, I would tend not to put them up one after the other. So I spend a long time then spacing the songs, having written a variety of songs, but, but I am very aware that I'm writing them. Um, to, to mix up the keys a bit, but at the same time, I'm also very aware of your, most, with most songs you're trying to write songs that are within the vocal range of children, and most children have a range of something something like about one and a half octaves. So I can do songs that range from about kind of a B or a B flat up to about an E or even an, e an F, and uh, I've done that on all, all my albums. I've got songs where the top note might be an F and the bottom note might be a B or a B flat and you, you can go beyond that but if you're going beyond say a top F for example you're getting into more specialised choir mm. material mm. and on one of my Christmas albums a song called Rejoice Rejoice an an octave leap on a G to a G and I did that but I had to have a very good choir to do that because uh, most kids would struggle a bit with that if they weren't just really really good singers so there's, there's all sorts of interesting techniques you can use when you're writing and recording and I think that one of the many many secrets of writing good children's songs is, is is to mix up all your techniques you know and don't and never never underestimate children's ability to actually understand and absorb these sort of things because they do. kids are often not given the you know the um, um know what we looking for just that the um the understanding is they can that they can actually grapple with uh, more complex things than we
0: think. That's absolutely fascinating. I think there uh, might be a, a few teachers listening who are going to immediately start writing some children's songs or at least having a <laughs> go at it. Or, uh, that, would be, that would be terrific. Yeah, it, it,
1: it's, it's kind of it, what I would say, it's no it's easier writing a decent children's song than writing a decent adult song. I've, I've done both. I obviously have a lot a lot more children's song, adult songs. I've done both. Mm-hmm. And uh, they both In the end, it's that old cliche, you know, I mean, creativity is a you know, 90% perspiration and a 10% inspiration. And I think that's largely true, but what needs to be said is there's a big buck that you do need the 10% inspiration. And if you haven't got that, you're not going to get a great song. And where that inspiration comes, that's one of the great mysteries of songwriting. I guess that's what makes some people good songwriters, because they are able to sort of conjure up this inspiration. Um, So,
0: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh well uh, yes yep yeah, yeah. let's let's um let's see if we get some uh some inspiration coming from our music teachers out there have you yeah, got yeah. Uh, can i can i conclude peter by asking you to what what advice would you give music teachers at uh, today um
1: to do lots of singing with
0: their classes uh
1: i think singing with children is one of those wonderful almost basic things you do and always assume, assume that all children can sing. Because in Hungary, under the what's called the Godia system of teaching music, the Hungarian teachers assume that all children can sing, uh, do lots of singing. Um, and as a teacher, don't be afraid to sing in front of your Kids with them or and with them, I know that's probably easier said than done. With a lot, a lot of teachers are very intimidated by by singing. Like like I am, it's a thing that I'm not very good at. So I'm I'm intimidated by them too. But if you can't if you can't sing in front of them, just find someone who can. Uh, and I think um, just appreciate the joy that singing does give children because it's a really wonderful thing to be doing. And one one of my frustrations over the years has sometimes been with um, people who don't really understand. I I understand singing. They say, oh, does does do your concerts have a theme? And they mean, oh, you know, they have an environmental theme or some other theme. And I think, well, no, the theme is singing. The concerts are about singing. And if, and if you know, if you think singing matters, well, that's, that's what, what what I do in concerts. And some of my, and all my, my songs have all sorts of different themes. Some are funny, some are serious, some are crazy, some are weird. <laughs> mm. But they have all sorts of themes. But, that, but the, the bottom line is that, that um, ch- I think children singing for children is incredibly healthy in all sorts of ways. And um, you don't have to have a theme. Uh, in fact, when I, when I actually asked people, do you want me to theme the concert? Not a single person ever asked me to do it. Mm. So teachers understand that the importance of... The importance of the singing is just in, in its own self. Um that um, to to, you know, to to sing as a group of people is a is a very, very help healthy thing to do.
0: That's wonderful advice. And I want to thank you very, very much for giving up your time today for for us, Peter. We'd would love to chat with you again sometime maybe next year if that was if that were possible.
1: Sure. Yeah, next year we'll be just a matter of finding a time. Yeah, that's
0: fine. Yep, that'd be lovely. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, Mark. Yeah. And now we come to the usual finishing off bits. The end matter, as publishers call it. We have another composer's recipe for you, a musical quote and a teaching tip. And as always you'll find them in the show notes. This week's teaching tip is a video from that Mary Barra Marvel, Alison Ludden, who this time is sharing her tips on storage for your resources. And don't forget to send us in your teaching tips uh, as either text or audio or video. The recipe this week, in honour of our special guest, is, of course, a pizza you can make and belly flop onto. Its film composer Eric <laughs> Ennio Morricone's personal recipe for a traditional Napolitana pizza. And if you do decide to belly flop onto it, leave out the anchovies. They'll stick into your navel. And finally, the quote. In light of Peter's strong belief in getting kids singing, I've chosen a quote from J.M. Barrie, the author of Peter Pan. Hmm, I think there might be a little of the pan in the coom too. So here it is. If you cannot teach me to fly, teach me to sing. Thank you for joining the Music Room Podcast with me, Mark Lee. For show notes and other resources, please visit us at musicroom.net.au. And while you're there, subscribe to future episodes so that you can help us keep the music going. I'd love to invite you to join the free Bushfire Press Community Facebook page too, where you can get more tips and techniques, ask questions... Stay abreast of Music Room events. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with teaching colleagues and school parents. If you have a question or a subject you'd like covered on the podcast, or have a recommendation for a guest to interview, please contact me at at markbushfirepress.com. The Music Room podcast is part of the Experts on Air podcast network and is brought to you by Bushfire Press.